gonna wing it. Quick little intro there. No, actually, so for last week's episode, I was doing uh, extra research and I found a collection of Roberts and Davies uh, essays. Okay. It was called A Voice from the Attic. And it was called The Attic. I guess sometimes Canada has been referred to as America's Attic. Okay, I get it. Yeah. And so it's like, I have voice from the attic, actually. It's just old. Canada's full of like boxes and old VHS tapes. And what else? Where are you podcast? Because that's where I am. I'm in the attic right now. See, I brought it up. I thought you'd appreciate that because you're banished to the attic until you. What? Do you just have to apologize? What do you have to do to get out of there? Uh, you know, just get out of the family's hair, you know? Dogs don't like watching me talking to a microphone, the wife. Just, just, you know. That's stuff to do. That's stuff to do. I'm in the attic. It's actually not. I've, I think last summer I went, I um, was going for audio quality, so I'd keep the windows closed. And it got pretty hot. Matt saw my face a couple times. It was pretty red so now this summer I, I've just gone for you might hear cars going by people talking my dog's barking outside but I'm gonna be a little bit cooler and I think a little bit sharper this summer summer just summer just uh I actually have something I want to get off my chest about summer why does summer start on the longest day of the year doesn't it feel like summer should peak at the longest day of the year and then like gradually as you know doesn't that make sense i think it's something to do with the pagans i had these little flowers have cramp tiaras in their hair and dance around on the solstice Maybe how about you just like a goat or two yeah my side doesn't that make sense for summer to start in like may well it seems like it should be may through september no because what is march I, I think august. or it's june 1st to august 31st Fall is September through December 1st, and winter should be December 1st through February. You know, at one point, we did have this thing called uh, seasonal books that we still have, but, yeah. you know. Hey, so I was going to bring this up. The year of uh, getting back on track. What were you going to I was going to bring this up at the end of the episode when you rattle through our TBR, but I'll do it. I'll do it now. I kind of stopped doing that because I don't. I like to keep the you know people in suspense. Well, and, and it's a very long book. books. Yeah. So I got um, for Father's Day. Oh, yeah. By the way, happy Father's Day. Oh, thank you. Yeah. Slept until 6.30. <laughs> uh, I got some good books. One of them is called Planet Narnia. Planet. It is a look at the cosmology of C.S. Lewis. So C.S. Lewis was a medievalist. Uh, he was a professor at Oxford, right? He was a medievalist. And back in medieval times, the sort of medieval cosmology, there were seven planets and all the mystics. And there, there's there's more to it. And I'm not smart enough to describe it. But they had this whole, so seven planet cosmology and, you know, sort of a little bit of astrology, astronomy mixed in there. But somebody wrote a book called Planet Narnia. And it is about how C.S. Lewis was influenced by the medieval cosmology. And the book is about the impact that medieval cosmology has on the works of C.S. Lewis. Right? Following you? 
You haven't read Narnia. You don't have a history. You didn't grow up reading C.S. Lewis. So I know this book is just, I can see it on your face, you're dazed out. I know this, but I'm going to talk about Planet Narnia every episode for 20 minutes until you get Sword and Stone done. It's like a little spur to you. Uh, you know what? You, you, know, okay. you don't want to hear me talk about C.S. Lewis and medieval cosmology. Here's, here's what I was gonna do, because I know this has been driving you a little crazy. It's been driving me, you know, it's eating me up inside just as much as it's annoying you. That I started love beginning of uh, what's the big the, the Sword and Stone is the first book. What's the whole Once Future King? Yeah. Once and Future King. Sorry, loved it. Took it on a camping trip. Haven't picked it up in nine months. Anyway, that's beside the point. It's kind of a running gag at this point, but hand to God, I was going to, after we got done recording, say, we kind of do some planning for the upcoming weeks. Uh, and I was going to say, hey, next week, what if I tell you I'm going to have the sword and stone done? We do part one. Of the next week, I'm going to be ready by next week. Oh, see? <laughs> No, that's fine. No, we could. Yeah, no, I want to have. Because we'll last week I hadn't even started to this week's book, but I knew I could get through it because I like this this week's author, and I was curious about this book, uh, and I had the same feelings. Wait, we're recording this on a Thursday, so that would be that would be a challenge for me. Not gonna lie, that would be a challenge, but I can get it done, man. All right, we'll talk off there. I don't want to bore the. I got some ideas. I don't want to bore everybody. We'll talk off there. I just want to threat you, threaten you with Planet Narnia. If next week is not uh, the King Arthur Legends, then you know that Matt convinced me of something else. Well, I will talk. I have my brother. My brother um, read. I recommended Sword in the Stone very highly. He's got kids. And he started reading the series to his kids, and they love Sword and Stone, and it gradually gets more and more adult. He had to kind of oh. stop reading to him because it got, you know, inappropriate. But he was ready to come. I was like, you want to come on and talk about some of the uh, the second and third volumes where it gets serious because he's smarter than, than me. And he's like, yeah, sure, let me know. And this is at Christmas. He's like, yeah, let me know. I mean, we might, can, might bug him to come yeah, on for Jaber Crow. He can reach out to me too. Well, see, he's a big Wendell Berry guy, too, so you can talk about Jaber Crow. Man, we have so many books. Sometimes I have this panic where I just stare at my bookcase, and this overwhelming sense of dread of the TBR encompasses me, and I fall to the ground. And you know what I do? I sit up and I pick up a library book that I shouldn't be reading. Yeah. Yeah. No, I'm with you. I got a couple books on hold, too, interlibrary loans. But here's the thing. I think we need to make a mental thing. Mental. We can't make it feel like homework. I would do that in school. Yeah. It's like, I like to read the stuff on my own, and so I didn't do the reading for school. What we need to do is realize this is just, this is for fun, too. We have to make it not seem like passion. It's a passion project. Exactly. Exactly. What were we talking about? I don't know, the attic or something? I'm in the attic. You were going to start talking was, about What if I just became a huge C.S. Lewis fan? You might. We're going to, at some point, we're going to do Narnia. Can I ask what the C and the S stands for? Clive Staples. Clive Staples Lewis. I heard this thing on a podcast today that if you say someone's name with the th- like their full name, it makes them sound like a serial killer. 
because uh, they have the th- when people assassinate somebody or get caught being a serial killer, they say their whole Lee Harvey Oswald. John oh, Wilkins. so that's not to like uh, make it's both with the first and last name. Actually, no, because I don't know Ted Bundy's middle name. It's if you assassinate somebody, you get the three names. Serial killers. I know Jeffrey Dahmer, Ted Bundy. I don't yeah, know the. I don't know why that. But you know, the two, that's the two most famous ones. Hmm. That that theory just went out the window in about thirty seconds. Well, it was just the wrong. It's assassins, not serial killers. Serial killers assassins. get two. Assassins get the three, except for Sirhan Sirhan. Hmm. Sirhan. Just the same name twice. So sometimes you have one name twice. Although he didn't really. What about one them. name? One name? Just one name? Like the Brazilian soccer player? Like Pele and Madonna? I think you have to be a celebrity. You know what one name is? What name is a government figurehead? One name? Putin. Putin. Yep, you can say Obama. People shorten. People say Obama, Trump. They'll say politicians. They don't really say the first, the full name. But there's a difference between, that's like a shortened last, like, oh, that Obama or that Trump, that, that shortened. Madonna, Pele. Share celebrity is just one name. You know what the last pre- okay? Here's my theory: the last president, where you said the first and last name more than you would just say the last name. This might be completely wrong, and I think it might have been two presidents right next to each other: Gerald Ford and Jimmy Carter. Carter. And Ford. I didn't think you said Ford and Carter. Okay. Damn, that Ford, that Carter. I'm voting for Ford. I'm voting for Carter. But I think with Ford, you get confused with the car company. Well, Carter. if you're talking about Ford, yeah. Ford's I like Ford. People think you're talking about your car. I'm like, no, I like the guy. Yeah, I, I like thought you were a Toyota, too. man. And you're like, no. Hmm. Well, you know, presidents sometimes get the three initials. JFK and FDR. True. Politicians, RFK. Well, sometimes Paul LBJ. Sometimes you get the three initials. Do you think there's going to be a hyphenated president, last name? Uh, no. the first woman, the first woman who gets elected, might be a hyphen, like women hyphen. It could be a woman, it could be a man. You know, he sees athletes with of all genders with uh, the hyphenated name. I'm just wondering if it would ever be. Is that the last thing that we're gonna have a president with a hyphenated name? I wonder if we'll get a weird like meta world peace type, maybe literally meta world peace. The athlete. What if we get uh, an AI president? I'm on the AI kid. It's another book on our TBR that Yuval Noah Harari is probably advocating. He's probably voting. You know I was looking at that book lately. We need to, I need to pick that up because you catch can up. dip Me in and out and kind of yeah. think about it, think about the future and robots. There's a lot. There's a lot to get into that, with that book. It's fun. I disagree with him, but it's a fascinating read. How does that make you feel? Smarter than him? Do you think you're smarter than him? A little bit. You know, maybe that's the appeal, if I'm being honest. Like, I'm, I don't, I'm not, right? He's a smart guy. I think I'm, my worldview is correct, but so does everybody thinks that. But maybe that's the appeal. I disagree with his worldview so much, it allows me to feel superior to this guy who's got some PhDs and has written some successful books. It's like, oh, you may have the, the wealth and success, but I'm smarter than you. Mm, that's a good right? point. I mean, that's, prob- that's probably it psychologically. Yeah. But, 
we all have our our flaws. Mine is uh, intellectual arrogance. There you go. My wife's nodding. Yep. Yep. Ah, uh, we all. Um, can I start the episode? Yeah, let's get going. And on that note, welcome to There Will Be Books, a podcast about books and books. I'm Peter, joined as always by Matt. I didn't know what the other thing we were talking about. It was all over the place. So I said, but I didn't know about your, you know, your flaws, books and flaws. Could be books and flaws. Yeah. Books and books works. Hey, Matt, do you have your passport? Okay. <laughs> he didn't you know what I was. I'm just yeah. like, oh no. Oh no, another a, a, a Are, double intro. No. You're watching like a, pol- a political speech or something, and you're bracing for the corniest. Like, oh, this is gonna be corny. Just brace yourself. No, I just have five minutes on passports. Um, no. No. Uh, set sail for Paris. Set sail for Paris. I was gonna do something in the intro where I was gonna pretend I was a gate attendant at. Uh, airline last call but i didn't know how to do the voice you yeah. know what so, I mean, can i try real quick hold on yeah yeah last morning call to paris to go uh all point in 10 minutes so you come up i don't know if you can hear that that was pretty good yeah. in my that was head <laughs> that was surprisingly good actually yeah uh i don't know where to go from that um, that was actually a good um so let me jump on here you know what i miss I don't miss because I never experienced it. Uh, back in the day, we had to like go on a boat for four weeks. Like going to Europe was a big thing, and you had a a nice boat, not a, a cramped immigrant boat, but like a like a you know you set sail on a steamer with a really nice room and you okay. know it's that. a whole big event. It's great that we can get everywhere in the world and. 24 hours right you can get across europe in eight hours or whatever there is something to be said for the the slowing down of your brain and and self to go on a long trip and just sort of you don't have a phone 100 years ago you're just sitting you're meeting people you're talking to people uh it's trials and it's just there's something to be said maybe for the old old timey uh, boat trips. That mode of travel. Mode of yeah. travel. I would never want to do it, I'll be honest. I would I would like to to see try it. See I'd do it. All right, I can see that. I always had kind of have fun with the waves. Like it's kind of fun to rock. Yeah, I don't. No. Um <laughs> we don't even talk. We are talking about tonight a movable feast by Ernest Hemingway. I can't believe we're doing Hemingway. I didn't think, um, and this is a Hemingway I have not read. Basically, okay. his memoirs in in a way of his time in Paris in the tw- kind of like mid nineteen twenties. What's his last book? I didn't know that. Published after his death, so in nineteen sixty four, I believe his last wife kind of compiled it. There's some controversy about how she she was like the with the term so she was kind of in charge of his the, estate, the state, yeah. executor uh, the, yeah. executor and then there's some debate about maybe 
the order of this book is not correct or things were taken out that weren't correct. So there is some, I don't know if controversy is the right word. Maybe one of what, what edition did you have? Because there's one where she edited it and there's another edition where I think his grandson. See, I think I have the one that Mary, it's Mary, right? Oh. Mm-hmm. And then what? Yeah, I think this is from 1992. Okay. Well, actually, no. This is 2003. Scribner. And it has a preface by Ernest Hemingway, a note from Mary Hemingway. So, yeah, this concerns the years of 1921 to 1926. Um, Apparently, sometimes she kind of put it in chronological order and... There's some talk that he didn't actually want that, that he wanted sort of the sketches of certain people to like be next to each other for Mm -hmm. a compare and contrast. Um, But um, yeah, Matt, this is your first Hemingway, correct? Yeah. What do you think? Half of the sun also rises in college, but I don't count that. You read half of the sun also rises? Yeah, and quit. So this is my first. Quit. Yeah, I think so. This would have been I started off with um, For Whom the Bell Tolls. I read it. Mm -hmm. I remember I was probably in high school still and I read it during the summer. It's like a very memorable, vivid kind of reading experience. Then I think I read A Farewell to Arms and then maybe The Sun Also Rises. Then in college, I read The Old Man of the Sea. And then I've read some of his short stories. So I have fairly long history with Hemingway. And you um, like him, right? You're a big Hemingway guy. I would say when I was younger, I would say he's one of my favorites. I kind of drifted away from him for I'm not entirely sure what reason I drifted away from him. Coming back to him, though, it was a reminder of I wouldn't say he's like one of my favorite authors. I would say I enjoy him quite a bit. And it was a nice read, even though this is nonfiction, it was nice to kind of be back into the rhythms of Hemingway uh, reading this book. Because I do think like you read this and it's a good snapshot of the kind of writer he was. Yeah. Uh, what were your impressions or what were you expecting uh, going into this kind of well, book? Let me just say, I liked it. Okay. I don't know that it would surprise me too much, but I was like, oh, turn, I think I told you. I was like, oh, and it turns out I like Hemingway. <laughs> no, but it was great. It was a, just a kind of moving. He was a good, was a good writer, right? It says, it's, and, I, and knowing the story, I read my edition was the one I think his grandson went back and kind of rearranged. Oh, okay. And he did just, he did the foreword and I think he messed with some other, just tweaked some things. But it, I, I I actually wasn't aware it was his last one that he wrote, what he's working on before he died. So it was something moving or, you know, like neat about a elderly, legendary writer, right? Well, Looking back on his early years and kind of writing about himself when he was young. And, you know, I enjoyed all the stuff I enjoy about these types of memoirs you know the the famous people he also knew that era paris in the 20s it's a very romantic you know place so i think he worked on it in the 50s but he found a chest and i think i I mentioned this 
a chest of his 1920s like notebooks from Paris, and th- then he started to like tinker with them. You see, like in a weird his life, he kind of had a, a struggle with a lot of things, but one of them was sort of compiling his works and getting an organized. Yeah. Like he early on in his career, he had a much more focused, um, kind of like more discipline. He wrote some yeah. like some of the best books or greatest works are like kind of in a short period of time in the twenties, um, and then like a farewell to arms comes after that. But uh, so yeah, this is i guess we can tell people who aren't familiar this is a snapshot of like the people hemingway knew when he was married to his first wife and they had their first son um in paris as and he kind of travels through he goes to austria he, there are some travels there he is um uh, a poor writer at this point and he's not like it's, but that's a question i want to ask he's poor but he says he's poor, but it doesn't. He paints himself. Would you read the book? And it's you know more romantic. He's the poor. He and his wife are kind of scratching by. He talks about how he skips breakfast and it's better to write hungry. And then yeah. he'll buy bread and wine. And so he makes it seem like he's a poor writer. But you do a little bit of research after reading this. Turns out his wife was uh, wealthy or rich. She had a little trust fund. She wasn't wealthy, wealthy, but his wife had a trust fund well that they probably yeah there's something to be said that would a real truly poor writer be able to go to Paris? like some of this is like at that time and then often go on these like trips and then he's getting paid for i think newspaper work from toronto because that's where you lived before um so there's some debate because sometimes while I was reading this, I'm like, I'm not entirely sure you're that poor. And that's not that's not a detriment to the book, but that's just it's just something to note, right? I get he's setting the scene, and when you're in the book, you kind of get into the I like it, the poor writer trying to survive in Paris. You know, they're poor, but they're happy, and you know, but but it's it turns out it's not there's probably not quite the the case, but I he's a good writer and he sets the scene, and you know what whatever let me give you a one of my kind of passages i liked and this he kind of talks about being the poor writer in this passage here he goes life had seemed so simple that morning when i awakened and found the false spring and heard the pipes of the man with his herd of goats and gone out and bought the racing paper but paris was very was a very old city and we were young and nothing was simple there not even poverty nor sudden money nor the moonlight nor right and wrong nor the breathing of someone who lay beside you in the moonlight. I like that. That's good Hemingway right there. Mm-hmm. Uh, but his, his mention of poverty, it's maybe he kind of romanticized his life in the 20s. Well, who wouldn't in Paris? People do that in their in their memoirs. And yeah, yeah, he, yeah so what? Old, like I think old men romanticize their youth. It's not unforgivable. So... Um, what what is there a character is there a person in this book yeah i guess the like the the answer that most people will give is sort of the sketches and stories with f scott fitzgerald and his wife zelda is there anyone else in the book where you're like oh there was one i had to look up it was a painter paskin i looked up uh in his section i didn't know anything about him was there a character like real life person in this book that interests you uh 
to read more about? Uh, other than I kind of want to get into the Fitzgerald a little bit. I enjoyed those a lot. And then uh, I liked how much he hated Ford Maddox Ford. He, he just despised him for whatever reason. It was pretty, pretty funny. His characterization. His relationship. I kind of want to know more about the um, Shakespeare and Company bookstore owner. Mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. She's kind of a famous figure. She was kind of uh, met James Joyce. Kind of wanted a little bit more James Joyce. He seems like a guy who's just kind of blind almost. Yeah. Um, but that's kind of the fun of this the of the book is just who are we going to meet today uh mm-hmm. and what are we doing today um but it's a little bit i would say the book was a little bit more talks more about sort of like not the process of writing there's the process of writing like you want to stop like how he i think writers love to talk about writing and i think hemingway is one of the most famous writers who love to talk about his writing like how he did it what he like just yeah and this book is full of that kind of stuff which i kind of well but i also know that it's probably eh, we'll see (laughs) well so i had just absorbed a lot of those quotes on writing by hemingway and it turns out i just learned they all came from this book like i'd heard a lot of those maxims and stuff yeah over time and oh it's like oh okay they all came from faced but they're they're interesting i liked hearing about his routine uh he was pretty superstitious about the process which i actually don't think is that uncommon i think a lot of writers realize they don't know precisely where the inspiration comes from and they kind of had a, a set of rituals to hopefully bring inspiration or the good stuff about and so, yeah, he, I understand the kind of superstitious nature of it. Uh, you remember when he's chiding Fitzgerald? Uh, Fitzgerald uh, was talking about how he'll change his stories to try to get him to sell because yeah. he needs money. And Hemingway was just affronted. He's like, you don't, you don't do that, Scott. You know. He often talks about like writing the true and good. Like the way he talks mm-hmm. about it, it seems like there is a, an, like an absolute to the stories. I always like when he talks about the books he's reading. I, I, I kind of like that was, uh, I don't know, this book maybe just no, yeah. maybe want to read a lot. Does that make I sense? I know. And he, he read serious stuff. Like when yeah. he goes to Shakespeare and Company and the lady like loans him, he's like, he doesn't have enough money, but she lets him take some anyway. And it's, isn't it like Joyce and some other, like a really serious, yeah. yeah, Tolstoy or something. Yeah. It, like, it reminded me of like, when you turn in your early age, maybe for some people it's 16 or 17, or for some people it's 22, 23, when you're like, okay, let me get into some serious literature like that. And it's kind of for people who like it. And I was one of those people, you kind of get a, like a rush from it. Oh, let me try Cause you're, you're coming at it new and you're like, let me find who's who. Right. And then you're reading it and it's, some of it's above your head. Some of it is right in your alley. It's just a, I don't know. This book is a good, like, get you motivated to read. Um, so I, I think that's one of the, the things I took from it. But did you feel that way, Matt? Yep. Yep. It makes me nostalgic for that period. You know, which is weird because it's not something you went through. But I think it would have been a fun time to see. And I also I was I was thinking about nostalgia in general. 
I think the whole, because I think it's, it's not unique to us. I think everybody who reads this kind of romanticizes Paris in the 20s. I mean, Woody Allen made the whole yeah. movie about it, right? But I wonder how much of it is he was a good enough writer and that combined with his legend, mm. he romanticized the period himself. You know what I mean? Like that he kind of boosted it. the the well, I think twenties. People romanticize Paris in the twenties because of a movable feast, right? Because of the book itself. Oh, I, I yeah, I think you know, I could see that. I kind of agree with that. It, it is sort of a the, just there are certain periods in time I think where there's you kind of romanticize with you know a group of painters or writers or even like musicians get together in like a small space or a city or wherever i think that lends itself to oh man wouldn't it have been great to been in a cafe and watched hemingway mm -hmm. just get drunk and write or whatever yeah. like or just, it's a good i mean it's a Compared to most people's jobs, you know, getting up, going to a cafe and riding for four hours in Paris sounds great, you know. So, but and people romanticize their youth as the more they age, they like uh, uh, Gore Vidal and his memoirs. I read those when I was in college and young and he made uh, New York and the author scene in New York and kind of elsewhere from 1945 to 1950 sound fantastic. And how much of that was just him writing about his youth. Like he was, he, he, you know, sold everything he owned and moved down to Guatemala, bought a, like an old mission where missionaries, like he just bought a mission and lived in old mission in Guatemala. And it's like, Oh, that sounds great. And he just wrote books. It's like, that is fantastic. And it's not like the, the late forties or, you know, it was just, it was the, the writer creates the atmosphere and romanticizes their own youth it's and then it becomes and the reader gets nostalgic for a period they've never experienced because the writer is just that good at evoking those emotions it's a tricky thing too right because part of the lore of like oh that's that sounds fantastic of someone going to guatemala and writing is you know the writer's good or like if you don't like the right you know what i mean like there's there's a, a professional talented person doing this the tricky part is you and I go do this. It's just like a waste of time. <laughs> it's just like, no, I don't know. But that's the thing. Or like, is it not? You're it. saying it's not. No, no, no. But that's what would make it brave, right? Yeah, like, that's true. But that is because you don't know it's going to turn out well. And is that like there were, you know, it, it would that was a risky thing to do to go to Guatemala, to move to Paris and to try to write rather than have the steady career. Well, and so and what what when just nostalgia in general what that leaves out when you when you remember something fondly when you nostalgia like uh, like college was kind of a fun period for me right but when i look back on it it's the i didn't have any response the old you know the real world the cares and stuff that was gone but when i nostalgize that now you forget about there's a test all the papers you have hanging over your head whatever social anxieties you have of being like 18 year old you know what i mean you forget all that you strip all the, the 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 what it felt like being there, and you only remember the good stuff. So I think that's the flip side of the nostalgia. It's, there's also something to the effect of what if, what if I had done something differently when I was exactly. 22? I just maybe I go back to school and got her MFA or something. Or should have done the Peace Corps. 
You should just go to Thailand or whatever. Yeah, there there is that. It's part of that. Yeah. Um, I think it's youth in general. It's not necessarily the place that he was young too, which is crazy. He was mid twenties when he's this is going on, or early twenties for some of it. Why well, he would born after eighteen ninety nine. Yeah. So he had just got. He was a ambulance driver in World War One. I think he then goes back to, I believe, either Toronto or Chicago. I think Toronto. Kansas there. City for a little Kansas bit. Kansas City, too. Yeah. Uh, goes out to Paris with his first wife, and they have a young son, kind of part of the book. Those are some of the side characters. But um, I kind of didn't realize how young he was when this book takes place. This is young Hemingway. This isn't sort of the Hemingway at Key West with the beard or in Cuba. Um, it's kind of a handsome guy when he was, uh, yeah, twenties. Yeah. Uh, um, why do you think Hemingway has sort of lost his luster and sort of the American literary? It, it, I think there's some obvious answers. He does. He's not the most. I don't know if he's aged poorly, but when you say the t- name Hemingway, I think there's some connotations there that may fair or unfair not age well he has four oh. wives he's yeah. a, oh. a drinker he kills animals uh doesn't really write women all that well or if they're I thought, I, yeah i thought about this right it gets into something i want to get into i he's his ethos mm-hmm. has fallen out of fashion with their current very true climate. that has happened yeah and i i, I was I kind of wanted to get into the author's reputations kind of getting in the way of the work itself. But That's, yeah, I, we can get to that later. If you had more thoughts on, I think his just his whole, there's a certain point if you get too popular, the only thing to do is to tear you down. And that happens generation, like cyclical with generations, right? It, he was a legend. All the post-World War II writers, the mailer, all, all that era idolized him and repeated and now we're on to something else and so that's the natural cycle of things and like i said his ethos his legend everything he did has fallen out of style and we have a different culture now so that's i had I a that's professor in college who i like quite a bit and he made just an offhand comment once about hemingway this is not a hemingway class but he said later hemingway started to believe in the, the myth of hemingway and that's where he got into trouble and this obviously isn't like older Hemingway, but there is, I still really like, I, I honestly want to revisit the books I read of his because I do I, enjoy his, you know, it's famously sort of lean style, but mm-hmm. it is kind of crafted in a very engaging way for me. I, I, I don't know. What do you think of his writing style? I was curious about that. I liked it. This is a pleasant. It was. It's not jar. It's not like completely out of. It's sort of. I don't know if it's as unique as other people may have claimed it to be, Um, but he does. He does have passages in one of the like the one I just read where it's like kind of moving and sort of poignant and sometimes kind of like beautiful in in a way uh, that he doesn't, I believe, get credit for. So. Um, he's a good writer and i think 
So I'll, I need a cop to something. Okay. So a lot of my whole oh anti Hemingway thing, I think, was just kind of he was popular, and it's a kind of a you see a lot of people doing it. If something's popular, mm-hmm. you can kind of it's a cheat code to trying to seem smart and sophisticated to just not like it. Right? I did it with Harry Potter when I was at the bookstore and we're having all those signings and the little kids would show up dressed up all as, I was like, Oh, I don't like him. I don't read those books. Uh, but then I read them and they were actually good. Yeah. And so I'm finding with Hemingway, it, the reputation he had and what I kind of thought his writing was. And, and I think a lot of it was, Oh, he spawned so many imitators and just the ethos of just a gruff guy who only likes to hunt and fish. I wasn't interested in mimicking that. I was interested in the my persona when I was young was something else. So I wasn't interested in mimicking that. And so I would kind of look down on Hemingway. So having come around to it now, I was surprised. Uh, like, oh, this is actually good. And maybe the reason he had that reputation, he had, he was big for a reason because he was a good writer. Yeah. Just because the style is kind of worn old now, there's a reason it became popular back then. There's also this. Uh, I want to get your take on this. I like Kimmy. I uh, this kind of remind me why I like Kimmy Way, but often like what he writes about, I don't really personally like care about. So it's almost like I don't so, sort of look towards authors to identify like, oh, we have the same taste. I don't care about bullfighting. I don't care about horse racing. I don't care about hunt. Like there are a lot of these things I don't care. Like in my personal life, I don't care about, but sometimes I'm like, I enjoy sort of the, how he writes about these things. So I think there's there's something about like people don't like the stuff he does or, you know, or whatever. So therefore I can't like his writing or maybe just don't like his writing, but I, he does write about war and I kind of, I'm drawn to sort of like stories about, you know, World War One or World War Two. So there is that element to it. Uh, but not all of Hemingway. I'm like, oh, you know what? I'm going to become a hunter because I want to go. No. None of that is sort of like but, in the wheelhouse, but yet I like his writing and his storytelling. Yeah. A good writer can make anything interesting too, right? I don't particularly like horse racing either, but the horse racing parts in this were interesting because he's a good enough rider and he made it interesting. It's also interesting too, because we've talked about this auto fiction. Like he is, this is Hemingway. Hemingway is writing about himself a lot. But he captured other people. You're not just stuck in That's his That's true. He but was, he's still writing a novel, right? I would, Which I think yeah. And it's fictionalized. And I would argue modern auto fiction that we kind of both dislike, they've kind of put they don't really do sketches, plausible sketches of other people. Hemingway is giving his takes on Ford, Maddox Ford and Fitzgerald and Gertrude Stein and all these other people. He's not shying away of doing that, even though it's about him. It's not, I don't know, the modern auto fiction. It doesn't do that. No, I mean, what I think my favorite novel of his is uh, For Whom the Bell Tolls. And that is just a straight up like, story and has some like really like enthralling scenes of just um 
kind of you know it's a war novel essentially but uh, I don't know I, I I was thinking about why people placed like whether they like or or hate an author based on sort of the subject matter and like if you disagree with it in order if you agree with it that is sort of your met your 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 metric for liking the author which I thought I don't know yeah it's sick not with me but i i kind of it was not the case with me i guess yeah no it happens a lot i think and people do that people judge things based on what they think they'll think of it without even realizing it you know and i i I admit i did that with him um it's interesting i mean yeah it's i think it's natural to do people yeah Hemingway and I think my other recent experience with this was a little bit of Nietzsche like I thought I knew about of this person and their writing and what their work was and I actually read it and you realize oh the cultural concept like there's some serious flaws in the cultural conception of this person the work isn't the work itself actually isn't what everybody says it is love it or hate it it's something different yeah, Nietzsche was like that too. It's like, oh, this guy is—he he doesn't, you know, uh, all the, the the will to power doesn't mean like worldly power. Like all the the catchphrases and the things people look down on him for is like, oh, he actually didn't, didn't mean that. It's oftentimes more subtlety to the work than yeah. just the uh, yeah. It's the not lines the, about the what reputation. The, yeah. yeah. No, yeah. I so I, the I, reputation I, and legend can actually get in the way of the work itself. And I don't know that people would argue that that didn't happen with Hemingway, right? I think. Did you want to get into sort of the F. Scott Fitzgerald part of the of the? Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, because it, it it's this kind of very famous relationship, right? Um, yeah. And then in this, and then a movable feast. There's often Hemingway is sort of encouraging him. Almost Fitzgerald is almost you know he famously he has his wife Zelda and they're. I've always assumed that they were just like bad for each other. Hemingway almost sides with that uh, Zelda is like kind of gone crazy at, at a certain point. Uh, and so there's a lot of like telling him to just focus on writing his good novel. Um, yeah. kind and of Hemingway, Hemingway made it seem like Zelda was jealous and would either consciously, yeah. or consciously try to stop Scott from writing. Uh, I, I thought his portrait of Scott Fitzgerald was interesting, entertaining, plausible. I know a lot of Fitzgerald uh, people on the team Fitzgerald don't like the would quibble with Hemingway's portrayal of it, but I don't know. I have not knowing anything about Fitzgerald. I think it seems plausible because Fitzgerald comes off. He was a drunk and a little neurotic and I thought it was actually quite affecting when Hemingway, they went on a road trip together and it was like a road trip movie, almost like a, a Hemingway was a straight man and like planes, trains and automobiles, Hemingway, Steve Martin and Fitzgerald, John Candy, the annoying guy who our straight man is saddled with. Yeah. But I thought it was pretty moving. Like right when Hemingway's getting fed up, with Fitzgerald and maybe this guy's just drunk all the time. I can't deal with them. He reads the great Gatsby and decides a person capable of writing something that brilliant can't be all bad. 
Yeah. I actually was kind of moved by that. I thought that was kind of sweet. Because it almost it feels like Fitzgerald has all this talent. He's maybe possibly wasting it. And you could probably argue that that's actually true. He probably had another. Um, but I you could also probably say that the same way about Hemingway. Hemingway wasn't you know going to bed at nine o'clock and like he had his own sort of vices. Yeah. But sure, he but seemed to he have had a longer career than, than Fitzgerald. He yeah. did seem to have this drive, and it's kind of like when he talks about his writing. There is this. Um, I don't know how much of that is he's building up the myth of Hemingway himself, or is it you know how he likes to leave the writing for the day, or he treats it like work. I often get a sense when Hemingway is talking about writing, it's like getting getting the job done, and it's mm-hmm. sometimes romantic, but oftentimes just like a you gotta get the words down, you gotta get this, and just it's, do it, yeah, just do yeah. it basically, yeah. So his relationship with Fitzgerald is interesting because Fitzgerald seems to be, like you said, kind of all over the place. But then yeah. obviously he has written, you know, one of the kind of American classics and The Great Gatsby. Personally speaking, I've read both or like I've read Fitzgerald and I've read Hemingway. I would kind of side on Hemingway being the more. The Gatsby actually might be better than anything Hemingway wrote, but. That's it. I mean, that's personal style. I think I like Hemingway more. Uh, actually, I know I like Hemingway more, but it's it's kind of skewed because Fitzgerald just didn't write as much. Well, exactly. And I think Hemingway finally came around to Fitzgerald to seeing him as an equal. Like this guy is talented. Fitzgerald maybe had more, na- maybe more enough natural talent to be in Hemingway's league, right? But I think Hemingway was trying to get him to treat it as a job because he would draw more out. I think whatever you say about Hemingway, I think he respected the process and the, the writer's lifestyle. And so I think I got the impression from this book that he wanted Fitzgerald. He was trying to get Fitzgerald to see it the same way. It's like Seriously. lose all the distraction and focus and you can be one of the greats. And of course, it didn't, you know, he, it didn't pan out that way. But Gatsby's good. Gatsby's good. Gatsby I is to, I, I properly. It was one of those things a while ago, and it was, it's really yeah. a good book. Universally popular, but like for good reason. It's properly rated. It actually is that good. That's one of the. First that was his own. I mean, that's yeah. When I wanted to like read serious literature, I read The Great Gatsby. I think maybe even first. Like, I I actually like this side of Paradise. Everybody talks about how it's an immature work of his, but I if you're twenty. Yeah, it really speaks to you. I read it when I was twenty, and I loved it. You so. told me this. And I remember reading it. Not it felt kind of unfinished in a way. Like it just felt. I don't know. Yeah, it, I might feel that way now. But when I was twenty year old, me huh? I was like, I, I really identify with this guy, and you don't realize so you were on the, the, the guy's a yeah, the guy's an egotistic. Yeah, so oh well. Oh, well. Um. Would you have liked to have been around all these characters, Gertrude Stein, Ezra Pound, Fitzgerald, Hemingway during this time? What, uh, would it have been so, would it have been kind of obnoxious to be around all these creative types? Would you, oh, I in think the moment, was... could you tell like that there was something special going on or was it, do you think it's all just hindsight? How special was it? Like it's what, like we talked about earlier. Was this, this, it, it's actually not that long of a time, too. It's, so, 
I would like to go and see, but I mean, I don't know. I think, yeah, I don't know. My, my preference would be, I'd like to go see the, the post-World War II New York. Yeah. But that's my, that's my whole Vidal thing. So I'd like, that would be my preferred, you know, with Vidal and Tennessee Williams and whatnot. But. It, no, it's, I, I, sometimes like this is just a personal thing I like to do. I sometimes like to look at books or authors and then think about the history around them and how are, are they, can you see a connection to them or is it sort of, they're, they're almost in a different time, like Hemingway in this time in Paris or whatever, like just not too far away. There's like rumblings of Germany and like the rise of what's going to become Nazism and stuff like that. It's just a weird contrast to what it seems like just, you know riders getting drunk and driving around and going to you know horse racing and then going to austria and it's it's kind of an interesting like look into the past in a way that that wasn't yeah that was a little before the a little bit before but not if you think about it it's not that far like think about six years ago sure sure but he's describing He's describing his youth. They weren't. I know. Think about all those. Uh, what's the the? I'm not. The, it's not a judgment. It's just like a thing to think about. No. Like when you're trying to think of like a whole picture, you're like, oh, there's so much going on in the world, and here's a little. Yeah, yeah. Well, but that's guy. But it's just, I think it's just interesting. Personally. It's what we're talking about. How nostalgia works, right? Because what think about what's one of the most nostalgic? Uh, what's that Ryan Adams song? The summer of '69. Yeah. That song just reeks of nostalgia, right? But that's him nostalgizing his youth. Like Vietnam is going on at the time of that song, but that's not what this song's about. He is looking back on a period of his life. So I think, I don't know, getting into the nature of nostalgia, I think it's not it's not concerned with the, the outside world too much. It's, it's personal. It's, it's personal. Yeah. And I, that, I guess maybe i'm talking myself into that's kind of the brilliance one of the brilliant things about this book mm. is you can evoke that atmosphere for this brief little period of time it actually feeds into the, i think the title is really good too mm-hmm. yeah i don't think he'd settled on it before his death but like a movable feast uh yeah i i read the quote where he kind of describes like paris as a movable feast yeah. like you carry it and, with yeah yeah well back in the day the the old especially the catholic like the 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 feast days of the saints and whatever they're not on a specific day they can kind of you can have the the feast days move and so paris in the 20s is a movable feast and you can like sink you didn't say sink back into it but you can take it with you wherever you go right that mood and the attitude of being young and poor even though your wife has a trust fund but young and poor, and, you know, it was good. It's a good title. I, I see what he means by it. It's a, uh, yeah. I, I, I got an itch to get back in some Hemingway. I'm not going to lie. You, you could talk me into For Whom the Bell Tolls or Sun Also Rises. I want to get back. I I didn't give The Sun Also Rises a fair shake. I, I remember reading it in a very, like, it was like stop start. And I did it. that's the one i was like i kind of to get my full sort of judgment on that book i'd have to reread it definitely um for whom the bell tolls i know i loved feral old arms is 
really good just for me just below that uh the old man c is a very simple novella that i think is excellent so um and then the short stories are i'm not usually a big short story fan i would have to revisit those uh but they weren't they were good they weren't like my favorite short stories that's kind of how i remember them but um yeah i'm glad we picked this book matt me too interesting to uh revisit any other thoughts quotes yeah well ideas about Hemingway the 20s in Paris so you know who was friends with Hemingway later on she's not in this book but Don Powell and Hemingway were friends yeah mentioned that uh I went through I have Don Powell's diaries and so I went through and found all the Hemingway references mm-hmm. just interesting just some you know nothing to some funny things in a so it's from October 24th, 1940. E.H. Ernest Hemingway. Right? It's often called Papa, too, in his life. Yeah. Well, she doesn't call him Papa. But this is just her diary. And she didn't know this is all published. So it's not yeah. filtered or geared. This is just a diary entry. E.H. perturbed and conscious struck over having left first wife in spite of her second marriage. He finally forces himself to call up after a couple of years and says, this is Ernest. And she says, Ernest who? That's fun. That's it. That's funny. <laughs> I, I love Don Powell. Just... I think, and I, I don't think that's made up. I think that's an anecdote Ernest Hemingway told her. Like, you know. Yeah. Yeah. Else? Hold on. Good old Don Powell. Went out today, February 7, 1944. Went out today for a little while. Letter from Hemingway, very cheering. Said I was his favorite living writer. <laughs> and for people who, I know he's got some, you know, problematic personality or whatever you want to call it. In his personal life, yeah. he got along well with other women writers, especially. You know, like he was friend, Don Powell and he were friends. He's he admired her. He there wasn't Martha Gellhorn, someone who I've who I've heard, and that was it, they had made a movie about that relationship in sort of the 1940s. Uh, but I've heard that her books are excellent, and it's been something that I've been having on, kind of been circling to get to at some point. But neither here nor there. Continue. Yeah. No, I mean, it, I don't know. I, he had wife trouble. He's married four times. He had romantic trouble. But the other women in his life, it it is not so simple just to write him off as a misogynist. I don't, I don't think. Um, this is interesting. I don't know what to make of this, but just this is kind of a. This is from nineteen fifty four. Did you know he and his wife at the time, Hemingway had like there's a plane crash in Africa and everybody thought they were dead. There's a lot of times like yeah. you read about him, he gets hurt all the time. Yeah, it was like he wasn't faking like the whole adventurous lifestyle wasn't totally fake. He would go and do stuff. Hemingway and his wife lost in Africa plane crash near Murchison Falls. I thought of his bravery and bold facing of danger in which he always comes out okay, but somebody else gets hurt. By Monday, they were found and his sails had another jolt upward. I have a hunch that Hemingway has muffed his death just as Marius does in my novel. The great to-do and raving praises always given the dead, but perhaps his real death will be unmarked, unnoticed. 
I tried once again to read Failware the Arms, and it seems as clumsily written as ever to me, wooden, like Walter Scott, different reading, pigeon English. And again, she wasn't, she's being, this is just a diary entry. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Thought, taking a swipe at him publicly. She was wrong about his real death being unnoticed. Real death unnoticed. was very, no, that'd be, it's, um, it's really I a pretty of, big deal. Yeah. Reading a little bit about it, it's, seemed like he was losing his mind and it didn't help that he was getting electroshock therapy at the time. It, it seems like maybe the electroshock put him in a state to where that was more. Yeah. Like, a, whatever. Not just a, a, a couple times, like a lot, a lot of electroshock. Yeah, it was over. It seemed like he was losing his a lot of like his faculties kind of leaving him in the last couple of years. So it's not as you're reading it, it's kind of tragic to, oh, geez, yeah, another like yeah. three sessions of electroshock therapy. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, yeah, it's kind of, yeah, 19, yeah. yeah in suicide in 1961 this came comes out in 1964 yeah. uh so yeah anyway i think yeah. I, I think we should do a novel here in the next six well months. we'll do sword and stone and life and fate but yes he's in the rotation i am i am not opposed to the you're not opposed okay let's put, I got him, let's put him in the i got you put yeah. him in the stable put him in the uh in the stable put him in the rotation maybe yep yep circling for when we get some of this other stuff done you have some of his books just curious yeah i do i actually have a little four volumes and one of uh, sun also rises farewell to arms and two other novels and some other very this is i don't know this is not that interesting i had a very weird copy of uh, the sun also rises it was weird in the fact that uh book went up to about page 150 and then pages 70 to 150 were reprinted again. Oh. It was odd. And then it, it finished the book. That also caused me to the issue with reading the book. It, it was a it was a weird printing error in the book. So I might not even read the full whole novel. Cause it had this Oh, like, you didn't go. Oh. Hmm. No, I finished the book because it like after the second like repeat section it then continues on and finishes the book i assume okay so there wasn't anything missing it just it just repeats itself Mm -hmm. the book was thicker than it should have been yeah you're right that's just no okay that's not it's not not great not great something that happened to you thank you so it's putting it into you and it involved ernest hemingway who we're talking about today that's true Uh, a couple more just random ephemera mm -hmm. And he talks about going skiing and whatnot. That's awesome. That's they didn't kind have of... ski lifts back then. Can you imagine? You got to yeah. hike up the hill. It also seemed extremely dangerous. Way more because they don't have the areas, like way more risk of an avalanche because they don't have no, yeah. carved out to the safe places. It's, yeah. Oh, and you got to step over, watch out for glaciers. Yeah. It was crazy. <laughs> it was not. Funny, isn't it? Yeah, being in the twenties is not glamorous. It, well, it was it, it was actually dangerous. It's glamorous, dangerous, but it's not an extreme sport in the literal sense. It's not something you drag the whole family to. No, it's not like it is today. I thought that was interesting. That was like a historical, like oh, this is like a, a, a slice of life of. That's also, that also leads me to believe that he wasn't that impoverished. He's going skiing. Well, they go skiing. Yeah, they go up to Austria to ski and stuff. Yeah, what a life! 
a little historical rabbit hole would be kind of fun to like the growth of ski resorts and how those were picked out and built and then how they like what skiing was before versus the industry it became My that would be kind is of the, it follows the rich the rich want to make it more exclusive i don't think yeah yeah it's like an exclusive well, rich thing i think somebody figured out a way to market it and be like we can make this safe we yeah. make put the resort and somewhere that's not going to be avalanches we'll make sure people aren't walking over glaciers and then you know you have lifts which is a huge deal that's you a know. that's a game changer and to turn around and hike so back up up the hill <laughs> yeah so that, I mean, that I was like, you do. i did too and I'm extremely tired. And then I had to drink sherry and, and write a short story or brandy or whatever. Yeah. Drink. It was always drinking something different. Some cold bread and sausage. And, it was, yeah. I wrote the best I ever wrote. I haven't eaten in two days and I skied. And then, yeah. I wonder if you actually skip meals, though. Because, like I say, wife, wife did pretty well. Yeah. Uh, but that's. I let that slide. Let them skip. Because I don't know about you. I was reading some of their stuff and I was like, man, I should be just, I don't need to yeah. eat all my meals. I should just. Like I say, it's fine. My I like, I like you skip skip breakfast because you got to write hungry. Yeah, I like that. There's some That's great stuff. Uh, Matt, I, I'm not going to said so I was going to go through all the TBR tonight. I'm not going to go through all the TBR. We have, you know, I, I think it's safe to assume in the next, let's say, month, The Sword in the Stone will be an episode on this podcast. Yeah, we'll get it. We'll get the seasonal ones back up. Get the seasonal uh, going, because I, I would like to pick some new seasonals. <laughs> I'm kind of anxious. I want to do Tolkien. So I want to get through Life and Fate and Sword in the Stone and One's Future King. And we also have Master Margarita. So maybe that could be our focus for the next month or so. It's getting some. But some, also Jay Crow and more Leonard. I'm not, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Let's go through the list of podcasts we've done recently or not recently and see some of the books and be like, I haven't seen an episode on that. Don't worry. We're working on that right now. Yeah. Also, if you like this podcast and you want to support us, go over to our Patreon doesn't cost a lot of money. We do episodes over there exclusive to our Patreons. Right now, we have our Thriller Book Club. We just picked our new Thriller uh, book over there. Just bought that book. Cabinet Curiosities, correct? Uh, So that will be coming up on our Patreon later this summer. We also have some baseball books that we've selected. So there's, you know, more content out there for you. You get a bookmark, get a a coffee mug. Uh, It's more... Kind of like more interactive, I would say. You get lead interactive. You get a you get a say in what we read. You get a full vote. You get to read my library reports every month. Yeah. Where you yeah. where I talk about the library books I put on hold, and some of the books I read, a lot of the books I don't finish. It's a fun time over there on Patreon. Matt, am I forgetting anything? We have a website now too. Therewillbebooks.com. Website. We're on Instagram. I started posting again on Instagram. Some. I saw that pictures yeah. of bookcases and going to Santa Fe. I love taking pictures of books. So join us over there. If you're on Twitter, interact with Matt on Twitter. He loves it. Get into arguments, send him funny stuff. Don't get into arguments. He's shaking his head. So don't do that. No, no, get you can pick a fight with me. It's fine. Send him jokes, send him literary 
I might, I might start, yeah. I might start letting loose on Twitter. Maybe it'll be controversial. Maybe I'll try to get the account banned. We'll see. We'll see. Stay tuned. We will be back next week. Thanks for listening. See you later.